You're listening to Overcome the Overwhelm for Special Needs Moms with Lauren Lowry. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. If you are new around here, I am Lauren Lowry. I like to reintroduce myself every now and then because I forget that it's not just me and like three of my best friends listening in. (laughs) I'm Lauren Lowry. I am a special needs mom myself. My son has a rare genetic disorder. I also have a daughter who we adopted through foster care, and she has sensory processing disorder and some other things that we are working on. She definitely has ADHD. There are some other diagnoses that we are working on right now, but that is me in a nutshell. I am also a life coach for special needs moms. So welcome if you are just joining in for the first time. (laughs) Before we dive into the podcast, I want to remind you guys that if you have not downloaded the 30-day overwhelm challenge, that you need to go ahead and do so if you want to get that in your computer, on your phone, in your downloads, wherever. (laughs) It is a really simple sheet, but it's actually 30 days, just very small, very simple things you can do to overcome overwhelm right? But I am saying if you want that download, go ahead and get it because that will be going away very soon and it will be replaced with something new that is not a challenge. So join in that challenge. It's super fun. It, like I said, very easy, quick, doable things that can help you reduce a lot of the overwhelm that we experience as special needs moms. So it's kind of a fun way to do that and go about that. (laughs) So for today's episode, we're going to talk about siblings. We're going to talk about the kids that we have that are siblings to our special needs children and all of the unique challenges that come up with that, right? This is probably one of the most common questions I get from special needs moms. Another really common thing that I coach on is how to kind of balance the attention between the two, how to help the sibling children, if you will, and how to really, you know, navigate that world and help them navigate that world. So let me back up here real quick and just say that we have always encouraged kids, you know, from Leo's school or when we're out and about, right, to ask questions when it comes to Leo. We have a very open policy about that. We think that it's really good for kids to ask questions because it helps normalize things. It helps make things less scary, right? It helps them see that, yeah, it's just no big deal. You know, why does he use a wheelchair? What his feeding tube is? All of that. We just get crazy questions and it doesn't bother us. It makes, at least me, I can speak for myself. Although I know my husband's the same way. <laughs> it just makes us kind of smile, right? But recently, you know, Kimber's kind of grown up around it. And she asked questions when she first met Leo, of course. So she's heard all those basics. Why he uses a wheelchair, why he has a feeding tube, all of that. But to her, that's just normal for the most part. But recently, Kimber has started asking more questions about her brother. I think she's just getting to that age where she's realizing that he is very different than the other kids, right? In her class or the other kids in his class. And she has this just very genuine curiosity about his future and what that will look like. She actually, she asked me the other day if Leo will always be like this or if he would grow up someday. 
And because I know her and I know her brain, <laughs> I know that what she was meaning by that question. She thinks because Leo doesn't walk or talk that he is like kind of like a baby, right? Kind of like an infant. And that's just how kids categorize things, right? They just kind of put them into boxes. But like the question, that was really hard to answer, right? It caught me off guard. I think I was in the middle of doing something and I just kind of got flustered. But it got me thinking, you know, about what her life is like and about these questions that are popping up and what must be going through her head. Because she's also, she's been asking more and more questions about why Leo has to go to the doctor or like to the hospital and, you know, why does he have to have his blood drawn? Because to her, you only do those things, go to the doctor, go to the hospital, whatever, when you are sick or when it's time for shots. And so she'll ask us, like, is Leo sick? Why does he have to go to the hospital? Really, the hospital is because, you know, it's where specialists are. We're not in the hospital necessarily. It's like, what's wrong with him? And we've had to explain, like, you know, well, he has something that causes a lot of, you know, you know, you go down the whole child appropriate trying to explain a very complicated neurological genetic disorder to a six-year-old who is very literal too, by the way. So it is just not the easiest thing to always explain, right? And we haven't brought her to any of Leo's appointments before other than like our PCP, but she is actually going to be going with us in a few weeks when we go to CHOP in Philadelphia. So she is going to get that first glimpse into the medical side of Leo's life. And like I said, I've been thinking a lot about what is going through her head, what she must be thinking and feeling, and what she might think and feel, you know, in regards to her brother in the future. And the whole siblings, like, it's a very, there's a lot of commonalities, right? Every situation is very different. But through a lot of the clients that I've coached that have gotten coaching on this and have really struggled, there are some things that are just very similar about the experiences. There are some common threads, if you will. And there are also some common things that we can do to help our children navigate and help support them through those challenges. Our siblings of special needs kids have such a unique perspective, such a unique experience than most kids. You know, they kind of get like this front row seat to the challenges that their brother or sister are facing. And from a very young age, usually, they are taught empathy and inclusion and acceptance on like this whole other level than most kids really get. But they're also oftentimes have a completely different set of challenges than most kids do. Right? We have our special needs kids with their own unique set of challenges, and then our other kids also, because of that, have unique challenges. Right, It affects the whole family. And I think it would be really easy for us to forget or not to see the emotional impact that our children face, at least not until maybe they're a lot older. Like feeling sad that their sibling isn't maybe able to run around and play tag with them, or maybe even being worried about their sibling's future. Are worried about their health. Siblings may experience a range of emotions like frustration or confusion, guilt, maybe even resentment. They might feel neglected or like overlooked, like they have to fight for their parents' attention because their special needs sibling is getting all of the attention because they require so much more care. <laughs> that is probably the biggest. Siblings may feel even like anxious about their sibling's health, about their future. They may have like 
worry about their own future responsibilities as they get older. I know, especially you get into the teenage years, that realization might start come into play. So, like I said, just like our special needs children, our other children have a unique set of challenges that they will have to face. But I want to just note here that these challenges are hard, yes. But hard doesn't mean bad. And we so desperately want to shield our children from experiencing any amount of pain. All of our children, we're like, we don't want them to have any amount of pain, emotional or physical, right? It's just like human mom nature. It is biology. We aren't going to escape that desire to just want to protect them from ever even just losing a little hair off their heads. <laughs> like, if there was some way for us to protect our children from ever experiencing emotions like sadness or grief or worry or rejection, oh gosh, the rejection, we would do it in a heartbeat. We're like, yes, you can take my left arm, you can take my right arm and my whatever, whatever it costs, I will do it. <laughs> but listen, guys, we actually don't really want to do that. Yes, instinctually, and on a very, like, base level of our brains, we do want that. But hear me out. If we were actually able to shield our children from experiencing negative emotions, then they wouldn't grow. They wouldn't. They wouldn't develop empathy or compassion. They also wouldn't experience the full extent of positive emotions, like happiness and joy. Because you can't have that light without the dark. You can't have positive emotions without the presence of those negative ones to contrast it. These challenges that our children face are hard, but they are also helping to shape them into these absolutely amazing humans. They're getting like this, this step up from everyone else. They're getting like this benefit of just all these things that they are able to develop at such a young age because of the hard things that they have gone through right? And while we can't eliminate those hard things, even as much as we want to, <laughs> there are certain things we can do to help our children navigate them a little bit easier. And the first one is encouraging open and honest communication. It's create a safe space where they can express their feelings, express their concerns, ask questions about their sibling's disability. Let them know that it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to be sad that big brother can't play catch with you. That is valid. We feel sad about the exact same kind of things. We should not shame our children for feeling that way too. It's okay to feel frustrated that all the attention goes to little sister instead of them. That is a valid feeling and they should be allowed to feel that way right? We would feel the same way if we were in their shoes. We want our kids to allow their emotions, not suppress them, not feel as though they are wrong for feeling that way. Or they shouldn't feel that way. You know, we don't want the message to them to be suck it up, stop whining. <laughs> who heard that one as a kid? Because that creates adults who don't feel safe having those emotions. We end up keeping them all stuffed down inside of us using food or alcohol or drugs or shopping, whatever, to avoid them. That's what creates that. And it isn't always easy to do, right? Especially if you yourself were raised with the belief that those emotions are bad. We should avoid them at all costs. 
Because when this becomes like your knee-jerk reaction, it becomes your knee-jerk reaction to just say, nope, don't feel that way. When your own child is experiencing those big emotions, right? You're like, nope, nope, don't feel that way. Nope, go suck it up. You're fine. Stop whining. Your sibling has it so much worse. (laughs) I don't know if we'd actually say that, but I mean, it's a knee-jerk reaction. Don't judge yourself if you do you know, have that reaction because it's just a product of how you yourself were taught and raised, right? Part of your core beliefs that are just programmed in there against our will. (laughs) And it can almost feel like unnatural to parents. So this past weekend, my dog, Larry, that I've had since college, passed away. She was older and she had a seizure on Thursday night. So I kind of, I kind of knew, right? Like she's been having some issues. And so I planned on taking her to the vet that next morning, Friday morning. And I was just like absolutely dreading it because I was so afraid they were going to say, Hey, it's time. We need to put her down. Right? Like I was so afraid of it. And I was just a hot mess. But on Friday morning after actually Kimber let her out to go potty, um, and you know, we're kind of just doing the morning thing and she's like, Oh, you know, Larry didn't come in. And so I go outside and she had laid down on her favorite spot and she always likes to lay at under the porch and she just went to sleep and she didn't wake up. Well, you know, I was the one that found her and I knew what had happened. And of course I was bawling, right? Like the second I saw her, I was like, yeah, she's not just sleeping. And the second that I saw her, I started bawling because this dog, guys, her, yes, it is a girl. Her name is Larry. It's with an I, okay? It's a whole long story. (laughs) It was done ironically. But she has been in my life longer than even my husband has been around, right? She's not just been in my life longer than my children. She's been in my life longer than my husband. And so I was a hot mess out there when I found her. And Kimber, bless her heart, like she came out onto the porch. She didn't know what was going on. And I was crying. And my instant reaction was to hide my sadness, like literally hide my tears and just be like, no, I'm fine. You know, I didn't want to upset her. I was so afraid of her knowing that I was upset and that I was crying, which is ridiculous, right? Like it would have been weirder if I wasn't upset about this. But as parents, we often think we need to be strong for our children and we need to show them that everything is okay. We need to be the rock. Even when everything is in fact not okay. But showing our children that we too have emotions and that we cry and we get upset, that actually teaches them that these emotions are completely normal to have. That these emotions are part of life. These emotions are life. You know, if we never show them our own emotions like this, right? We don't mirror that to them and say, show them that this is what happens in life. Then they grow up believing that their feelings are not normal. Something is wrong with them when they do feel that way. So normalize and allow feelings. Talk about what they are feeling, why they are feeling that way, what questions they have. Have an open door policy of sorts. That's what they call it, I think, in like corporate America, but whatever. You know, have an open door policy where they feel safe expressing these feelings and these concerns with you. You know, without you ever becoming defensive or dismissive about them. The second thing that we can do to help support our children is by providing age-appropriate explanations. 
So they ask the questions, we got to give age-appropriate explanations, y'all. <laughs> Providing age-appropriate explanations about their siblings' disabilities and their differences, that can actually help them understand the challenges that their own sibling may face. And it can actually encourage more responsive empathy and support rather than resentment and, you know, jealousy for all the attention. And when our, under, when our children better understand the why behind things, they are more likely to be accepting. Like when their sibling is getting more attention and time with mom and dad, right? It's kind of like when we tell our child something like, don't touch that stove, and they ask why. If you respond, because I said so. <laughs> because your child asks why a million times a day, then they don't know that there is a good reason behind that rule you just gave them. They don't know that that rule is to keep them safe and to keep them from burning their little hand. They just think it's an unfair statement. You just said, mom being mean, giving me these rules, doesn't let me live my life. <laughs> they even might be inclined to rebel and touch it anyways, because you didn't give them the why behind it. Or, same thing can happen if, you know, your boss implements a new policy that is like a major inconvenience to you at work. If they don't tell you the why behind that new policy, then you'll feel annoyed, frustrated, maybe even resentful towards them, right? Our children feeling resentful and upset towards their sibling when they aren't getting as much time and attention, right, might be because they don't understand the why behind it. They may not understand that their special needs sibling requires more physical support from us in order to do, you know, basic everyday things like eat or change clothes. They know intellectually that, yes, you know, my sibling needs help doing these things. But that is very different from them understanding why they need that help, right? When they aren't able to do certain things that they themselves can so easily do, right? If they don't understand it to a different level. And yet, you know, this understanding, it comes with time and age, of course. But there are certain, you know, children's books and all sorts of resources that you can actually get and you can help facilitate that understanding at an earlier age. You can help them understand why it is the way it is, right? And can help make them feel more accepting towards it and say, okay, you know, I understand that mom and dad aren't avoiding me because they don't love me. Our mom and dad aren't spending as much time with me because they like my sibling so much better than me, right? No, this is the why behind it. Now, the third thing we can do to help support them is intentionally providing individual attention to them, ensuring that they have opportunities for that one-on-one -on -one time with mom or with dad or even one-on-one -on -one time with mom and dad at the same time. And it's not always easy, right? You know, of course, we, especially when we throw in like the lack of childcare options that we have for our special needs children, you know, but this one-on-one -on -one time, it doesn't have to be extravagant. It doesn't have to be large chunks of time. I think that that's kind of what catches parents up a little bit. They think it needs to be like several hours all at once, undivided, focused attention. And yeah, that'd be great. That'd be wonderful. But we have that all or nothing thinking if we aren't able to give them that all that big extravagant chunk of time that we think is ideal, then what ends up happening is we end up doing none of it, right? We think that small little chunks of time don't do enough. Therefore, we don't even do anything. And 
what we need to kind of change is the mindset behind that. That it can be 10, 15, 20 minutes of quality one-on-one time. You know, going for a walk together, walking the dog together, reading a book together, making cookies, playing a game, just doing something that they want to do. No phone, no nothing else going on, right? They have your undivided attention for a small amount of time. But here's the key is doing something that they want to do. That is the important part there. That is what we actually learned. I've done personally been in many a therapy sessions on connection and (laughs) things like that for my child. Um, That's just part of the process whenever you adopt. And that is what they say is that, you know, to fill your child's need for attention, a big key component of it is doing something that they want to do, right? Because kids have what I like to call like an intention bucket. Some kids, like my own, have larger buckets, much larger buckets than others. <laughs> You're probably saying that about your own child right now. You're like, nope, my child has the biggest bucket in the world. It's never ending. It's bottomless. <laughs> it is not, I promise. But when we give them attention, it's like we're putting a rock into the bucket. The more attention they receive, the fuller their bucket becomes. We want their buckets full. Now, some of the rocks that get put into the, into the bucket are larger than others. Like a full day spent, just the two of you running errands together would be a big rock. But, but so is just 10 minutes of doing something they want with your full undivided attention. You want to think quality, not just quantity. Now, big rocks to put into that bucket are great, right? Those are awesome. Those fill a lot of space. But we also need some smaller rocks, some pebbles, if you will, to fill in the spaces. These small rocks or these pebbles come with intentionally connecting with them during the day-to-day routines. Intentionally transforming those little small moments throughout the day, those routines, into something fun, into bonding moments. And this could look so different for every family and every child in your family. But it could be things like, just silly things, like belting out, you know, let it go from Frozen in the car together, right? Or inviting them to help you cook dinner and you show them how to cut things up with like a butter knife if they're really young. (laughs) Whatever, you know, teaching them something. But just infusing your normal day-to-day activities with what I like to call like a little pixie dust. You know, just a little sprinkle of magic just for them. And doing those things helps your child feel seen. It helps them feel that connection to you. But the key is to not wait for the perfect opportunity to spend time together to arise. Because it's not going to. Let's just face it. It's not. Not near often enough anyways. We actually have to create it. We have to fit it in around our busy lives. And within our busy lives, we have to put it into our lives. You can ask yourself things like, how can I connect with my child today? Or what is one small way I can help my child feel loved and seen today? What is one small way I can connect with my child today? Like it just doesn't have to be these big, grand gestures. It's in the little moments of life that connection happens. You know, our children are going to face those unique challenges. Like I said earlier, we can't take that away. 
We can't make their life just easy peasy, no struggles, right? We can't shield them from certain experiences that they're going to face. But what we can do is help them understand. We can help them feel safe and loved when they are going through those challenges. Okay, my friends, that is all I have for you today in this episode. But I will talk to you next week. All right, bye. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Overcome the Overwhelm. If you have questions or would like more information, head on over to LowryLifeCoaching.com and I'll see you next week.